Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Thank you for coming out on what's been a kind of schizophrenic day weather-wise. I'm Pastor Tim Westermeyer, one of the pastors here at St. Philip the Deacon. And on behalf of St. Philip the Deacon and Mount Olivet Lutheran Church of Plymouth, which jointly present the Faith and Life Lecture Series, it is my privilege and pleasure to welcome you here tonight. Um, I always do like to ask, uh, how many of you have never been to a Faith and Life event in the past? Wow. Excellent. Wonderful. Special greetings to all of you. We are grateful for your presence. Uh, this is uh, the conclusion of the 13th year of the season, which I find very hard to believe. Um, and our goal over the past 13 years has been to invite Christian speakers from all walks of life. So we have had doctors, we've had authors, we've had journalists, we've had uh, one politician who is retired. Um, <laughs> And uh, we have had a couple people talk about the intersection of faith and science. Tonight's speaker um, is passionate about that. She has done a lot of work around the intersection of the mind and the brain, around the uh, question of science and faith. Um, I, you can read her bio in the, in the program. Uh, I always do like to ask our speakers, though, uh, if there's an interesting fact about them that might not be in a typical uh, program. Uh, or bio, and in, as it happens, uh, she gave me, as she just mentioned to me, a nice opening tonight because she had not one but two wardrobe malfunctions before the talk tonight. Um, I kid you not, she was in my office with a needle and thread just about 10 minutes ago. Um, but also, I think it was last year, they were uh, Mac and Caroline. Uh, Caroline travels with her husband, Mac, who will come up in a second as well. We're in South Africa, and among the things they did was is it called cage diving with white sharks? Yeah, I, that's what I said. Um, she got so sick on the boat, she actually didn't get into the cage, but she was sitting on the side of the boat and almost lost an arm to a white shark that uh, came near. So that's another interesting fact about her that you won't find uh, in her bio. Ever since we scheduled her for the conclusion of this year's Faith and Life series, we have been delighted that she agreed, and we have been looking forward to her presentation. Will you help me welcome Dr. Caroline and Mac Lee? Thank you, thank you. I'm Big Mac. I've been married to the brain for 28 years. I'm the subject of most of the books, if you want to buy any of the books today, and we bought our range. And we're honored to stand before you, and I know many of you uh, have driven from far. So welcome here to Minneapolis or Plymouth in Minnesota, and uh, we're all the way from Dallas, Texas. Actually, I was born in Nairobi, Kenya, and Caroline was born in Harare, Zimbabwe. That's Africa. We now live in America, so we're African-Americans. So. <laughs> I always like to get you laughing in the beginning. It relaxes you, primes you for learning. Just quickly, we're going to have a lot of props here. We have slides and so on. Can everyone see the slides show on that side? Um, if you can't, I think you should start moving a little bit over that side. Got a lot of slides. But in terms of the props, um, Pastor Tim had reminded me of a pastor up the road from you, and he was preaching on a Sunday, and he decided to use some props for a demonstration. And he had four bottles. In one of the bottles, he put cigarette smoke the other chocolate, and the other one alcohol, and some earth, and he put a worm in each of these. 
And of course, the worm died in the alcohol, the chocolate, and the cigarette smoke, was crawling around in the good earth. And he said to his congregation, what is the whole message? And an elderly lady piped up from the back saying, it seems to be that if you eat chocolate, drink and smoke, you won't have worms. So good evening everyone, and it's so good to laugh because it actually increases your intelligence, and that's really is science. The more you laugh, the more you actually release neurotransmitters that facilitate growth of neurons in your brain, and it actually increases your intelligence and your peace. So isn't that wonderful? God knew what he was doing, and this is why I love science, because God did everything pretty well, and science is us understanding what God did so, so wonderfully. So science should be in the church. We should be talking about science because God made everything, and science is a description of the everything. So I always see science as a wonderful way of admiring God and a wonderful way of understanding who we are. And my particular field is neuroscience. I'm a cognitive neuroscientist and communication pathologist, which basically means that I've specialized in things of the mind and the brain, and that's something that you can never stop studying. And I'm, I still currently spend two to three hours a day just trying to keep up to date in my field. I'm still involved in research. I work with a team of neurosurgeons and neurologists and endocrinologists, and we're starting a series of um, cl clinical trials. And so we're always busy in research, always busy learning, and that's really good for you. The more you use your brain, the more intelligent you'll become as well. You see, intelligence is not something that's fixed. You're actually as intelligent as you want to be. And the more you use your brain correctly, the more you increase your correct type of intelligence. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Well, if you look on the stage, you'll see that I have got green trees on this side, and I've got this little wiry tree on this side. So if any of you have seen me teach before, you'll see I normally set up my stage or wherever I'm teaching in this way. So this represents the love zone, and this represents the fear zone. So these are two opposite spiritual forces that cannot coexist. And why do I teach this? Well, because we have a love power and a sound mind. And we have the ability to live in this zone or this zone through the choices that we make. Now, we know the Bible tells us in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it talks about us being made in God's image. And we know that God is love. And we therefore, we are love. And we see this in science as well. We see scientists have discovered that our brain is wired for love. And not only our brain, but our entire body. This means that we don't have a single circuit, a single neurotransmitter, an enzyme, a protein, a structure, a cell, a anything that is designed for this zone. So when we, with our love power and our sound minds, make incorrect choices and we land up in this zone through incorrect reactions, we actually cause brain damage. So this is quite an interesting concept, and I'll be laying this out for you tonight. 30 years of research in 50 minutes is going to be a challenge. Um, I do have, I always start off speaking slowly, and then I speed up, but you are highly intelligent. Remember, you're made in the image of an intelligent God, which means that you are deeply intellectual and capable of understanding everything I share. The important thing to realize is that you've got to listen to something more than once, and that goes for anything that you're trying to learn. You see, when the repeated effort makes learning take place. So if you really want this information to sink in, and I think once you've heard what I've got to say, you definitely will 
will want this information to sink in. It's very, it's very life transforming. It's very practical in helping us actually cope with life. Well, you need to make sure you stabilize the information that I'm sharing with you because if you don't, short-term memory, which is what you'll be building this evening, will only last for around about 24 to 48 hours, after which all the thoughts that you would have built of this information I'm sharing will become will denature. The proteins will denature because thoughts are real things made of protein structures, which you'll be learning this evening. And as they denature, they create heat energy. So if you don't stabilize what I'm teaching you, you will increase global warming. Okay, so now that we've got that straight, let's... These are our four children. This was in Rome. You were actually at the Vatican City over Rome for Christmas. And these four, our four children are incredibly gracious. We travel six, five to six days a week. And we haven't obviously always traveled as much. They, they, they are between 18 and 25 now. But they keep us in line. It's got to the point because teach, I teach about getting your mind under control and dealing with emotions and dealing with learning, etc. And I, Nick and I can't even have a decent argument anymore because as soon as we do, we, our kids tell us, you know, you're making a toxic choice, read your book, blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> we are kept under control. So we do the same to them. You, know, you can make, be sure of that. So, okay, so... Um, we are thinking beings made in the image of a thinking God. So we are always thinking. You are always thinking. You are thinking during the day, and as you are thinking during the day, you are thinking to build thoughts. So we think, and when we're thinking, we actually build physical thoughts. This will make sense in a moment, okay? So during the nighttime when you're sleeping, your thoughts are being sorted out that you've built during the day. What do I mean by thoughts? Thoughts are memories. So when I talk about a thought, I'm talking about a memory. So you can use those words interchangeably. So we literally build thoughts. So thoughts are real things. Like this church occupies this physical real estate, so your thoughts occupy mental real estate. Okay, so thoughts are very, very real. Everything that you say and that you do is first a thought. So if something pops out of your mouth and you think, where on earth did that come from? Well, I have news for you. It came from inside your head because you couldn't have spoken it without having thought it. Thoughts precede our words and our actions. So we go through life responding and reacting to life, and the more we focus on something, the more we turn those thoughts into physical structures inside of our brain. So to get a good foundation and understand this concept of a love power and a sound mind, we need to look at the fact that we are triune beings, that we have a spirit and a soul and a body. Three parts. The spirit is, our, is broken up into three parts as well. Well, our intuition, where the Holy Spirit lays down truth, our conscience, right and wrong, and our communion, which is that intimate relationship with God, the desire for worship and connection with God. Okay, then we have our soul, and our soul is our mind. So our mind is our soul, and our soul, which is our mind, is our intellect, our ability to intellectualize and think, our ability to choose, and our ability to feel. So we are free thinking agents, and love is an incredible, and uh, when we talk about God making us, being a God of love and making us in love and being wired for love, which is a term that the scientists have coined, being wired for love, we, it's an incredible act of grace and love that God gave us the ability to choose. 
we choose to follow Christ or we don't choose to follow Christ. So therefore, if we, if God, that wasn't the case, God would have made us biological automatums or robots, and we would have just automatically followed him. So we have many choices that we are making all day long with our mind. So we are responding to the events and circumstances of life, which go into our, the, those signals pass into our brain, we process them, we think about them, we feel emotions, and we actually make choices which generates a signal which literally causes your DNA to express. You make proteins and you build thoughts. How simple? Okay, it's not quite as simple as that, but that's more or less what's happening. And you're doing that right now at the speed of 10 to the 27, which is way faster than the speed of light. So you are turning my words and the images that you're seeing on the screen and everything that you're experiencing through your five senses, you are turning that quantum signal it's a quantum signal because it's incredibly fast and it's moving into your brain, passing through the structures of your brain and that's putting your mind in action. As your mind goes into action, you are thinking, you are choosing and you are feeling and as you're going through that process, you are causing genetic expression to happen, which means you are making proteins. So you're basically capturing what you're experiencing in the form of a protein structure. So this implies that your mind is over and above the third part of you, which is your body. So your brain is part of your body, your brain controls your body, so your brain is subservient to your soul, your soul is subservient to your spirit man, and then obviously when we, are, when we choose to follow Christ, we are then submitted to the Holy Spirit or connected to the Holy Spirit. So basically the spirit speaks to our spirit, to our soul, to our body, but our soul is in the middle, our mind. With our love, power, and our sound mind, we choose to follow Christ. We choose to meditate on the word of God day and night, which the Bible instructs us to do. We choose to pray continuously. We choose to implant the word of God, which will save our soul, James 1.21, or we choose not to. We, you can choose. You are free to choose, but there are consequences of your choices. So we can choose to ignore God, and we can choose to, to live in this direction. Now, as soon as you react incorrectly, which is, would be in, the, in the, what I call the fear zone, you are still going to generate a signal. You are still going to be thinking, feeling, and choosing. You're still going to cause genetic expression to happen. You're still going to make proteins, and you're still going to build thoughts. But the proteins fold incorrectly, the, the whole glucose metabolism goes wrong, the whole neurochemical status of that particular combination of proteins goes wrong, and you basically build a very weird-looking thought inside your head. But very real, very alive, very dynamic, but it goes against the natural principles of how the brain functions. So basically, this is recognized on a par with a physical injury or a virus. So your body is then trained. If you have a virus in your body or if you have a physical injury, your immune system will respond by sending out immune factors that will then go to the site of damage and it basically you have inflammatory factors and as, the, as there is inflammation in the area of damage, that means that your body is going to kick into healing gear and healing takes place and it works in cycles of three weeks. Now that's if you have a physical injury and if you have a virus or something like that in your body or you have a surgery or some kind of damage to your body. Well, what science shows us is that the same response happens when you make a toxic thinking choice. So when you choose to react incorrectly, when you get irritated or frustrated or bitter or anxious or operate in unforgiveness or react in the incorrect way, whichever, all the stuff that is in this zone, everything that is not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, which is your default mode, if you do the opposite of those, you step into this zone, it's still generating the signal and you're going to have this, this incorrect thing 
forming that throws your body into damage. So your immune system recognizes a toxic thought in exactly the same way as it recognizes a physical injury or a virus, which is profound. And this is very recent research. It's profound because it means that this is very real. And when we think of thoughts, we don't think of them as being real things because we can't see them. We, we, we can certainly feel a blister or a wound or a virus in our body. Well, I just want you to understand tonight that this is as toxic as one of those things and as real as one of those things. Okay, so... Your spirit, soul, and body, our soul is in the middle. It has one foot in the door of the spirit of man, one foot in the door of the physical, and it is through our soul that we are going to make choices, through our intellect, will, and emotions that we respond to the world. So as we are making those choices, we are using our mind. Our mind is in action. So here the implication is that our mind is separate from our brain. So for, a lot, for the last hundred years in neuroscience, it has been very popular to say that the brain produces the mind or that the mind is simply an, an artifact of the brain. So the mind is simply um, the result of neurons firing that produce the mind as, an, as, a, as like an almost a residue or an artifact. So what, what neuroscience without God and even some Christians and scientists that, that are believers, they, they feel that the brain is the dominant thing, that the, the work, the action of the neurons firing is producing the mind. But now that is back to front because if I had to take your brains out your head, which I'm not going to do, and put them on a plate, they would not do anything. Okay, we could stare at your brain all day long, it will not do anything. It is only when you actually are thinking that you are doing something in your brain. So your brain is highly sophisticated, incredibly sophisticated. We only understand somewhere between 2 and 8% of the brain. I think it's closer to 2%. But every day there's more research coming out. But it should be sophisticated. The brain should be extremely complex because our minds are complex, because we are complex, because we are made in the image of an incredibly complex God. So that is quite normal that it should be complex. Okay, so thoughts are real things that occupy mental real estate. So they kind of look like trees inside the brain, and that is why I use this imagery of trees on the stage. So this is the healthy, healthy side, and this is the unhealthy side. So they're not really green and gray in your, in your brain, but just the imagery of trees is very powerful. So what we see over here now is a brain, and basically that brain, as I said, we can stare at that brain all day long. It will never produce any mind. It will never produce mind action. The spirit of life has gone out of that brain if someone has died. And we know that that breath of life is, is God from God. He is the source of everything. So... That, now, what you see over there is an actual brain of a person that is alive, that is linked up to various different brain technology, and as they are thinking, that what you see firing over there is the mind in action. So various different types of technology have measured, have measured the person while they're thinking, and it's shown this action inside the brain. If you linked up the same technology to someone who was dead, you would not see that action in the brain. So that is the mind in action, and what we see from research is that the mind actually changes the physical nature of your brain. And also we know from, from brain science basically is that our brain keeps changing. So before we dig deeper, let's have another look at this, another scripture. First, 
Thessalonians 5.23, which just stresses the power of the fact that we are, have a spirit, soul, and body. So now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. So if we have a look at a couple of points there, first of all, you'll see now. May our God of peace make you holy. So it's not next week, next year, or sometime when I feel like it. It is now and when until Jesus Christ comes again. What are we supposed to be doing from now until we are supposed to be keeping our soul, our spirit, soul, and body blameless? So we are supposed to be constantly working, as it says in Romans 12, 2, on renewing the mind in order to keep the body blameless and healthy and our mind and our spiritual side developed. So this is an ongoing life. Lifestyle, renewing of the mind, bringing all thoughts into captivity to Christ Jesus, seeking after holiness without which you will not see the Lord. This is a constant renewal of the mind. In other words, operating in love is a lifestyle. It is not an option to do now and then. It is your default mode. So what we find in science, as I've already said, is that we have no structures for any kind of toxic issue. We only have structures for health. So when we think in the incorrect way and we start operating incorrectly, we create chaos, neurodegeneration, neurochemical chaos in the brain, which leads to neuro degeneration and that basically creates a, a state of disorder in the brain and because that's unnatural we are going to try and sort that out so we start manifesting in external ways with various different behavioral patterns and thought patterns etc to try and bring order back okay which is also quite an interesting thing just to stress the fact that we now there's this whole concept of mind being separate from brain let's look at another couple of scriptures in Luke 16 the rich man and the poor man we're all familiar with the story the rich man indulged every woman the poor man did not and as the when they both died their brains and bodies were dead they were going to go to dust and they were, the story goes on and they're having a conversation the rich man looks up from Hades and he recognizes father Abraham and he recognizes Lazarus but he has no eyes he has no brain he has no physical body but he recognizes and he remembers so he has memory existing of who Lazarus was and who Abraham was. And then he communicates he has no actual mouth. So there's no physical left, but he is communicating, he is feeling, he is thirsty, he experiences concern for his brothers. So he is demonstrating mind activity, but he has no physical. So what the point of the stories is multiple, obviously, but the two points I want to make out of this particular parable is that the mind is separate from the brain and that we need to so into what's eternal, which is the mind. So what we do with our love, power, and our sound mind has eternal value because the brain is not controlling you because the brain is eventually going to die and your body is going to go to dust, both your brain and your body from whence it came. So basically your brain does not control you. You control your brain. Okay, so that's a very important point that our mind is separate from the brain because we are, it's very confusing if you're not in this field because the mind and the brain are used interchangeably as though they are the same thing. They are not the same thing. Okay, so, and, and also what we need to understand is that when we live in this zone, we were not given a spirit of fear, we were given a spirit of love power and soundness, but we were given free will. So as we make choices like David did, um, for example, David makes, made some bad choices as we are all f familiar with his story, basically you're going to have consequences as I already mentioned of those actions. So we hear in Psalm 38, a great example of how David cries out to God that he's feeling anguish. He's actually feeling all this feverish reactions in his body. His heart is beating fast. I'm just paraphrasing. If you read Psalm 38, it's a, a beautiful 
beautiful description of David being honest about how he felt in this zone as a result of wrong thinking and how the mind action was impacting the physical feelings that he was experiencing inside of his body. So the choices that he made with his mind wired in the thoughts that impacted his body because your brain is controlled by your body. You see, the thought that you are thinking right at this moment is impacting every single cell of your body and you have around about 75 to 100 trillion cells in your body. It's quite a few cells. So the thought that you're thinking right now is changing the, your brain chemistry. It is changing the nature of how your blood is flowing, what your, the, what your blood looks like literally and how it flows. And that basically impacts every single cell of your body. So if you live in a toxic zone, you are creating a toxic environment around your body. When you live in a love zone, you are creating a healthy environment around every cell in your body. And this is why the greatest commandment is to love because when we choose to love, love is not an emotion, it is a choice. When we choose to live in this zone, we are immersing our mind and our physical structures in our normal, natural, wired for love state, which changes how we function. So when someone is going through a hard time, instead of slapping a label on them and slapping a medication into their hands and thinking that that tablet is going to solve all their problems, when they don't, they numb the problems. And you, when you do that, you are actually changing the physical structure of your brain. Instead of doing that, we should be looking at the person within their whole context and looking at what's going on in their life and actually saying to them, what is, how can I help you? What is your story? What is the context of your life? What is the narrative? How can I help you? How can I tune into who you are? What have you been through? So you immerse a person in love. You don't say, what's wrong with you? This is your label. This is your chronic illness that you've got for the rest of your life. There's, and I'm talking about mental stuff over here, which is not a disease. Mental illnesses are not a disease. Mental illnesses are the result of a disordered mind, a result of incorrect, incorrect choices and trauma Two different things, okay? Incorrect choices, we voluntarily step into this zone, we voluntarily sin, we voluntarily, no one forces us to make incorrect choices and it causes all these reactions in the brain and which will affect the body. Trauma is also an incorrect signal. Obviously, no one asks to be traumatized, no one asks to be raped or abused. It's an incorrect signal. Unfortunately, that signal still builds toxicity into the brain and this is why it's so vitally important that we forgive because when we forgive, we actually remove this this toxic issue out of our lives, which when we keep it is actually destroying ourselves, destroying our brain and our body. Research shows that 75 to 98 percent of illnesses come from our thought life. Let me say that again. 75 to 98 percent of illnesses come from our thought life, including the big ones like the cancers and the cardiovascular issues. And these are things that what the re genetic research is showing is that over time, as we make choices, we basically grow genes. We create genes. We have a very powerful mind. Our mind causes our biology to change. So as we are thinking, we literally create genes. And those genes are there to create new proteins to actually build this new information into our brain. And when we make wrong choices, our mutations go wrong. And that genetic material is passed through the sperm and the ova to the next generations. So stuff can pass through the generations. Now, before we start emailing our grandparents and saying, you see, my life is all your fault, 
we need to recognize the stuff that passes through the generations is passing through dormant. So genetic research shows us that whatever passes through the generations that is not of this zone, in this zone, that is of this zone, the good stuff also passes through, obviously. But what passes through is asleep. It's dormant. It's not activated. So whatever you've got from your previous generations, and you will have stuff, good and bad, is asleep until you activate it. So you come with your own nurture, you have, and within your own nurture, you also have added to your nurture, the perfectly you, you have original sin. And that is the stuff that has come in through the bloodlines. And over time, as the, as these, uh, the, the, from the time of Adam and Eve till now, we've obviously had multiple generations. So enough of these mutated genes will produce disease. So this is what research is showing, is that a continual mutation of genes will produce diseases, and we see diseases in our lives. God didn't give us disease, okay? This is something... God made everything fine. It's not what God did. It's what man has done with their choices, okay? And what man has done, and I talk about this in my latest food book as well. There's nothing wrong with real food. It's what man has done and made food-like products that are not real food. Okay, so the stuff passes through the generation, and, the gener- and as it passes through the generation, we have our nurture, which is our, our perfectly you, that I, I call it your perfectly you, wired for love, default mode, made in God's image, whatever you want to call it. Then we have original sin piled on that, and then we have life. We start reacting. We react in the womb and start building memories. We get born, we go through life, and that's our nurturing. So there's nature, there's nurture, but overriding both is your I factor. It is your love, power, and your, and your sound mind, your incredible, gracious gift from God to be able to think and put, get your mind in action, to be able to freely make choices, and to be able to feel those emotions that God has given us to color our lives so beautifully. So as we use our I factor, which is this incredible action of the mind, we can override our biology. We can override um, and eliminate things that we see in our, in our, in our parents' lives in our grandparents' lives, and we can say, well, either we can activate that and live into that, or we can destroy that. This is a choice that we make. So you can watch your parents and grandparents and think, well, it's in the bloodline, there's nothing I can do about it. That is the signal of your mind that will actually activate this thing that was asleep. So we have an option in our life to actually submit to this, activate it, and live from it, because as I already mentioned, everything you say and do is first a thought, or we can eliminate that, or we can just leave it sleeping. But sleeping dogs lie, that lie down sometimes will wake up. So it's far better as the Holy Spirit leads us unto all truth to eliminate these things, to deal with these things, and to get them out of our lives. And we are able to do that. And this is the science that I've been studying for 30 years. So uh, 30 years ago, I asked a ridiculous question. And ridiculous it was at the time because I said, can the mind change the brain? Now, I've just laid a foundation for you that the mind is separate from the brain and that we can, the mind can change the brain. But back in the 80s when I did this research, it was considered ridiculous. Thank goodness I had a couple of professors who really believed in what I was presenting and I went ahead with the research anyway. And I started, I did some of the first research in the, in the, in the world actually on neuroplasticity, which is neuro means brain, plastic means to change. So I showed that if 
you can, and I give God all the glory, because God reveals stuff to us. We don't invent it ourselves. God will reveal stuff to us about his magnificent creation. So he showed me in my research something to understand about how creation works. My particular field happens to be how does the mind work and what does it do to the brain and consequently our bodies and our lives and our behaviors, etc. So um, that was a ridiculous question at the time because they did not believe in the 80s that the brain could change. So I was actually trained as a therapist and I ran a clinical practice for 25 years but I didn't apply these, obviously I didn't do the wrong thing. I was doing, I believe the mind could change the brain. So I challenged the, the therapy techniques that I was trained in because I was trained to diagnose a patient and if, as, if a person had major brain damage from a traumatic brain injury or a stroke or um, whatever and um, we were trained to, comp- to help our patients to compensate. I didn't believe we just wanted to compensate because God makes all things new and if your biology is submissive to your mind, then your mind should be able to change your biology, which is what I got into. So I can't get into too much of the science tonight just due to time, but I have a TEDx talk that I did. It's on, online. You can look at TED, at TED Talks. You can look on my, on my page. I don't know if you know what TED Talks are. It's in the scientific community. It's quite a big 20 million strong scientific community where they invite scientists to come and present um, different ideas. So if you want to know a bit more about the science side, I've got that. I've got a web page where I've got lots of journal articles and I've got a lot of science. I've got blogs with incredible amount of references. I have multiple um, books and online programs. I even have a TV show called Switch on Your Brain where I teach on these concepts that I'm trying to pack into 45 minutes, but you can see them on my TV show. All that information is on my web page. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of information on the science side. Now, IQ is a measure that is very, very unscientific, okay? It's already been proven to be unscientific. It basically only gives you a snapshot in time of how you function. The reason I'm showing you this is to show you, to, to give you some exciting, encouraging information. Number one, I said in the beginning when I started speaking a few moments ago that you are as intelligent as you want to be. Now, according to the IQ movement, your IQ is fixed. It can't change. Well, as I said, it's unscientific and has been disproved. The more you think, the more, you, your, the more your intelligence will change. So IQ is not a measure of intelligence. It is simply looking at how you are functioning at that moment. The reason I'm using this is that back in the 80s when I was doing this research, we didn't have fMRI technology at that stage, so we had CT scans and we had to make do with whatever we could, and I, used, I got every behavioral measure on my patients that I could find, and IQ was one of them. Now, what's interesting here is that this is a, an IQ of a patient that had a traumatic brain injury, very severe. She was in a coma for over two weeks. Um, after eight hours of being in a coma, um, as, I mean, her brain damage was was absolutely terrible. Um, Her parents were told that she was going to be a vegetable and if she ever did wake up um, that they just mustn't expect her to even, you know, they, they, they were kind of encouraging her parents to, to basically take her off life support. Well, the parents did not believe that. They just, they prayed over this child. They had 24 hours a day. They had friends and family speaking to her her favorite movies playing, her favorite music playing, reading her favorite books, or keeping negative negativity out of the room. As soon as someone spoke negativity, they would take the doctors out of the room. And so anyway, so long story short, in that in the 80s, when someone suffered that level of brain damage, what was believed was that because of the dearth of research in the field, um, they believed that your IQ would go down 20 to 40 points. So there had been some research showing that with that level of brain damage, even less brain damage, your IQ should drop between 20 and 40 points. Well, this young girl, after coming around, they didn't expect her to come around, she did, she woke up from her coma. When she woke up from her coma, she told her parents, I heard 
literally everything that was spoken over me, okay, which is very interesting. She heard the, her mother saying, go out when someone was speaking negative. She, not all the time, everything, but she heard enough. And she said she fought, she chose, and she fought to come back. She was desperate to come back. And anyway, she came, she came around. She was 16 at the time of her accident. She, when, um, by the time um, she was 16, a very, very average student, not doing that well, in fact, academically, and her IQ was pretty low. Now, after I did a period of therapy with her. We only did eight months of therapy, which is not a lot of therapy. Um, I'd work with her basically three hours a week. She would work daily afterwards. I taught her the techniques. I taught her how to use her mind because I believed that the mind could change the brain. This was very early days in my research. Now, her IQ should have dropped 20 to 40 points. At the end of that period of therapy, basically, she, her IQ had increased 20 to 40 points. In fact, the neuropsychologist that I brought in to give an independent assessment said that she was on a genius plus scale. Now, prior to the accident, she was a very average student. This is a child now sitting with quite severe brain damage. Her academic results were even more exciting. Well, as exciting, this is, um, you may not be able to see that clearly, but there's a solid line. This is her math score. She was really weak with math. She was getting around 60, 65, if she was lucky. Um, after the accident with the brain damage, after about eight months, of intervention, um, she went up into the 95th percentile. So she graduated the same time as her peer group, which was an absolute miracle because when she came around, she was on a fourth grade level. She was supposed to be a vegetable according to the doctors and according to what science said. She defied all of that and ended up graduating with her peer group, getting incredible results. So she went up to be, move from being a, an average student up into, the, up into being a genius student. And she went on to change her life plus many others. And I mean, this is, I worked in many different schools. I worked in, in South Africa in the trenches. Now, South Africa is an interesting country. It has, it's a third, a third and first world country combined. I was there in the pre-apartheid era working in the most dangerous areas that you can imagine, that you didn't go into, because if you came out of there alive, it was a miracle. Well, I worked there for 25 years. My husband, Mac, used to build houses for the poor, and I used to go and educate them. We used to take our teams, and we used to go into the schools that the government had written off. Parallel to that, I ran a private practice. So I was seeing all the privilege in my practice, and I was seeing the worst of the worst, the poorest of the poor, in the most shocking conditions, starving, hungry, beaten up, raped, parentless, AIDS, AIDS victims, I mean, the stories that would break your heart if I had to even begin to share them with you. And one day, and I love to share the story, I was teaching, I used to go with our teams and teach them how to learn. They would have 100 kids squished in a classroom. Most of them hadn't eaten. The smell was terrible. They didn't have access to sanit decent sanitary conditions. They, were, they would sit there for hours. They would sit there for five and six hours without moving. They didn't have black, but they had one broken old-fashioned blackboard, and they had one textbook. I'll never forget this, and I'm not exaggerating. Um, the, this is, it was unbelievable. And they would, these kids would sit there. The teachers had got newsprint, and they'd stuck it around the walls, and they would actually write up the curriculum onto that, and the kids would actually, you know, literally learn from memorization. So I went in to teach them how to think, how to learn, how to build memory, how to deliver information, etc. Those schools were written off by our government. At the end of a period of time, we did our research. We had the government doing independent research of the, of the interventions that we were using. And literally every single one of those schools, and we reached 300,000 people in just one project over a period of time, every single one of those schools went onto the recognized list. So what that means is that they were under the radar. No one wanted to know about those schools. 
And once they were starting to achieve, they were suddenly recognized schools because they were getting decent grades. So they went from being written off to being recognized, which was quite a miracle. One day, one young girl walked into, the, into one of the classrooms that I was teaching in, and um, she was pouring with blood. They thought it was her menstrual cycle. It, there wasn't. She had been raped on the way to school, which was not an uncommon situation in that, in that particular area where they lived. She didn't, but she knew I was in town, and I had quite a reputation of myself and my team for going there. They, whenever we went, we would have people just flocking. They would pour out of the, out of the, they would, the school yards would be filled with everyone who could squish into the classroom and hang out the door just because they just recognized that this, this thing of it, I've got, a, I've got a mind. I can actually do something with my life. Anyway, she sat there through the session and, and she just was determined. She didn't want to go out. She was determined to learn. That kind of desperation that I saw that day, there's so many stories I wish I had time to share more, but I don't because I need to teach you a few more concepts. But what I'm saying is that I have seen a lot. I don't stand up here without experience. I stand up here with 25 years of clinical practice, 30 years of research behind me, and nearly 20 years working in the trenches, working in those conditions. And I saw, I saw the most phenomenal changes. I saw bigger changes in the most desperate circumstances than I saw often in the most privileged circumstances. I know for a fact I can stand before you and say that there is nothing that you cannot overcome. When you put your mind to it, when you are desperate enough, like the woman with the issue of blood, you will recognize your miracle called Jesus when he walks into town. But you have to have an attitude of taking responsibility. You have to recognize the power of your mind. You have to get through this, this current postmodernist worldview which says don't suffer, just numb your suffering. But the Bible is very clear, and I was saying to Pastor Tim when you were driving from the airport today, the Bible is very clear that we are supposed to bring all thoughts into captivity to Christ Jesus, not numb all thoughts into captivity. Which brings me back to David in Psalm 38, who spoke honestly about his depressed feelings and his anguish, and who explained the connection of what that, what that was doing in his body, and then he cries out in verse 22, Lord, my Savior, help me. And he, and in other words, he knew where his help was going to come from. So he had to make that, take that, make that change, take that responsibility for our mind. And this is what I saw in these students as well. I saw a desperation and a hunger and a recognition that I am responsible for my mind and I change my brain. You see, you are not a victim of your biology. You are a victor over and above your biology. So that graph you see up there just represents when you introduce, it represents a collective number of a, a large group of schools of babies. Basically, um, the, this was actually special needs, kids that had very special needs in terms of academics. And when you introduce and teach them how to think and to learn, you will see a dramatic improvement in academic functioning, cognitive functioning, emotional functioning on all different levels. Research shows... Daily, it's pouring out daily. I've just ca captured a couple of studies here, but research shows that basically chronic stress and anxiety will damage the brain. So we now, it's pretty accepted. You can see there how you perceive stress will increase mortality. Um, toxic thinking de increases inflammation and cardiovascular problems. Um, basically, mental illness is caused by life events. I mean, there's just study after study after study, and what they're collectively saying is that the way you use your mind, the way you perceive your situation will impact yourself. It will impact you mentally in your mind and physically in your brain, which will then impact your body. In fact, research shows that just worrying about getting Alzheimer's will increase your chance of getting Alzheimer's by 63%. And the way you perceive a situation, if you see a situation as being very stressful, now, 
um, Pastor Tim was very, um, very gracious when he actually explained what actually happened. This is a brand new top that I'm wearing. And as we were about to get into the car, both straps split. So thank goodness it happened in the car. Otherwise, I might have been standing in front of you here topless. Okay, so the way I perceived that situation, I had to find cotton. We managed to get the hotel, the hotel on the way out. The guy gave us some cotton at the concierge and a needle, and um, we managed to get this thing sewn up so I could stand on the stage with the top on instead of off. Okay, so, but here's the thing. It's funny, but at the time, you have to laugh because if you don't, I would have increased my mortality, my chance, my, I would have increased my mortality by 43%. So the way I perceived the situation had a massive impact on my physical body. So you see, stress is normal. Let me stand here for a moment in the love zone. Stress is completely normal. You need stress. Stress helps you to focus. It increases your alertness. It increases dopamine and various different neurotransmitters. Nothing works in isolation. Everything works together. Your brain works on cycles of tension and release. You get sharp, clear, and very, very, um, very fluent cognitively. Um, when you are in correct stress, which is a good thing, as I keep saying, your blood vessels around your heart will dilate, you'll have more blood flow to your brain, more blood flow to your body, and you will have more, um, more oxygen flowing to your brain. So you're just functioning, that's just a couple of things. There's 1,400 things that just, do, that just go so well and work for you when you are in positive stress. But now if you, don't, if you don't go into positive stress and you go into this zone over here and you step into the toxic zone and you freak out, fall apart, basically what you do is the way you perceive the situation oh, I'm going to stand up here naked, or I'm going to find some cotton or pins or tape or something and stick my top back together. I mean, it's a dumb example, but it is just, just happened, so it's quite nice to use it. Okay, so um, basically the perception of how I perceived that either would have dilated my blood vessels on, in my heart, so we were having quite a giggle back in the office there. I don't know if Pastor Tim was, but now you, I think he was getting really worried. Okay, so now you know you must smile and laugh. Okay. No, you were not there, but you were worried outside that I was going to come in naked into your church or whatever. So <laughs> I wouldn't have done that, I promise you. <laughs> Um, anyway, the way you perceive the situation would have increased and decreased. Instead of the blood, um, blood vessels dilating, they would, have, they would have constricted. So you have less blood flow to your brain, less oxygen to your brain, and now you've gone into toxic stress. You see, we are designed to be addicted to God. Addiction is a good thing. Stress is a good thing. I've just blown two... Two, two of those things, that two myths out of, the, out of the water over here. So two of those sacred cows. We think stress is bad. We think addiction is bad. No, they're not. Stress is a good thing. Addiction is a good thing. We are designed to be addicted to God. The number one addiction that no one can quit is love. Of the seven top addictions, love is the number one addiction because we are wired for love. So we are addicted to love. We are drawn to Christ. And when we immerse ourselves in love and we immerse each other in love, we are giving people courage to be able to deal with what they're doing. So when we look at a person and love them in a genuine way and say, what's your story? Instead of labeling them and telling them they're a faulty, diseased machine and that they've got to just going to be like sick for the rest of their life or what's wrong with you, that's not immersing in love. That, that will cause a person to go into toxic stress. So stress and addiction are healthy. So if we're not going to be addicted to love, we're going to, we're going to swap out that addiction for something else, which could be, it could be sex, it could be porn, it could be alcohol, it could be drugs, it could be addicted to me, myself, and I. It could be addicted to bitterness. It could be addicted to hanging on to that bad habit. Whatever it is, if we are focusing too much on something in this zone, we have removed our addiction to love. So we are always pulling back, and we see this clearly in Romans, 
how we are always pulling back and drawn to our source, the Father of light, which is the source of love. So this is the design and the wiring of us. And this is why I love neuroscience, because neuroscience shows us in a very clear, it's not telling us anything new that we didn't actually know in terms of functioning of humans. It's just showing us what the reaction is or the result is or the response is physically when we operate in the love zone versus if we operate in the toxic zone. So as to quote Richard Swinburne, who's a famous, who's a famous Christian philosopher, he said that neuro, he says neuroscience shows us the brain goings on. Okay? So it's not showing us anything new specifically about us as humans. It's just giving us a very, very nice insight into the level of health and damage we create physically, which can, then can help us to understand when God says, think on these things in Philippians 4.8, or get, you know, forgive people, etc., etc., the laws that Jesus showed us. And, and Jesus is how we act out love. God is love. And Jesus is the, as we know, Jesus, Jesus is God's son. We know that he's sent to me, no doubt on the cross and rose again. Jesus shows us how to live out love. So we are love. Jesus shows us the model for living out love. So when we apply that in our lives, we will be addicted to the right thing. We will live in positive stress. So here's the thing. You may be thinking, well, I've been living in toxic stress. Is there any hope for me? Of course there is, because 30 years ago, I asked that question, can the mind change the brain? I proved the mind could change the brain. There were many other scientists like myself proving the same thing, working in the same field. And they found as well that the mind can change the the brain and the basically they that uh, this is just I'm just going to this is just going to play you can just read I'm um, oopsie wait, what happened there okay so just leave this one I'm going to show you these neurons skip the previous slide it's going to take too long it's basically just a summary of what I've been saying but many scientists have shown that by and by the mid 1990s it was actually accepted that the mind can change the brain so those are neurons okay so the mind can change the brain is called neuroplasticity neuro means um, brain plastic means to change and now it's accepted that your brain can change your brain your mind can change your brain sorry your brain cannot change itself so genes are not self-emergent and your brain is not self-emergent which is kind of what I said in the beginning self-emergent means a brain can't switch itself on it has to be switched on and the dominant signal that activates your brain and changes your brain is your thought life so you've been given a love power and a sound mind so that's the kind of that's the kind of mind that we want to be activating a love power and sound mind when we do that we activate the correct neural response all kinds of great things start happening in the brain and we basically can change so here's the thing. If we've been living in this zone and we've been trying to get some kind of order back in our life and manifesting with all these labels that are actually symptoms of, and I'm talking about the psychiatric labels that get, people get labeled with that lock them in. You're not a label. This is not who you are. This is, this is not your destiny. This is who you are. This is how you have become uh, through choices, through reactions, through life experiences. But because your brain can change and because your mind is more powerful than your brain, and when you listen to the Holy Spirit, when you are praying continuously, when you get into the state where you're constantly communicating with God, which I'll explain in a moment, you can change your brain, so you change your circumstances. So this requires a lot of discipline, and what, um, what my research has shown, I have um, a huge amount of um, research on this. Well, there we go. Here's a healthy thought life, so this, this particular image represents a healthy thought life. In my books, I've got a lot, of, um, a lot of information, more information, obviously, about this, what I'm teaching you, but essentially, when you are thinking, you are creating genes, I don't know if you got that earlier on, to actually grow new thoughts in your life. And you can keep on changing it. So that healthy garden, you may not feel like you've got a healthy garden in your brain. You may feel more like you have this kind of garden in your brain. That's what it may feel like. 
Okay, but research shows us that on the human genome that no matter how many bad thoughts that you have been or wrong choices or trauma that you've been through, it's limited to only a percentage of 3% of the human genome. So 3% of 100%, a percentage of 3% is what we are damage is limited to. So every time you make a toxic choice or get traumatized and don't deal with it, we basically damage the brain, which I've been saying. But it's limited to this table over here. Let's just say, for example, so if you are all the thoughts in my head, you are all my genetic engineers that are operating in a, in a default mode of love, power, and soundness. This is the limited area that God has so graciously in science, through science, through his design, limited the area that we can damage in our body. But we can live in this zone. We can look at life through this, and we can actually make this the 100%. It's never really 100% because it can only be 3% max, okay, because we can't damage the other part of our but it can feel like a complete train wreck in your life and you can feel like that garden and this can feel like everything but you have the ability to stand back and observe your own thinking I call it the multiple perspective advantage I have I'm talking from by the way from a combination of points in all all of my books but I talk specifically about the multiple perspective advantage in here and that's the ability to stand back and observe your own thinking so at any one moment you can go into what we call superposition and that is you can observe the incoming signals coming into your life, you can observe the upcoming thoughts. Now, what do I mean by upcoming thoughts? Over time, from conception, you have been building memories which are thoughts. Remember, you think, you choose, and you build, okay? So as you're thinking, choosing, and building, these upcoming thoughts will move from the non-conscious mind to the conscious mind. So your mind is divided into a conscious mind and a non-conscious mind. Your conscious mind's only awake when you're awake. Your non-conscious mind operates 24 hours a day. Your conscious mind is small and slow, and, and it's powerful. Powerful, but the non-conscious mind is huge and more powerful. It's very active. So when we say non-conscious, it doesn't mean it's lacking in intellect. It's incredibly quantum in its intellect. So our non-conscious mind is massive, huge, unlimited, and connects into the spiritual part of who we are. So it's where our memories are formed. It's where clusters of memories form our belief systems. It's our entrenched habits, etc. So it's our and the more so whatever you think about the most will grow. Whatever you stabilize um, is going to not become hot air, like I said in the beginning. It's going to actually become an implanted thought. The more you think about it, the stronger it gets. Um, as soon as you become aware of something, as soon as something moves from the non-conscious to the conscious mind, it becomes malleable. Like you see me shaking this tree, it becomes very weak and changeable. So your mind now becomes aware, you become aware, hey, this is how I'm reacting in X situation, and I keep on reacting like that in that situation. So in, my, in doing that, you now have awareness. The minute you're aware, that's an excellent thing. It's a time to celebrate because now you can be aware that this is weak. The minute you're aware of a toxic issue in your life, it is, it's weaker. Now, the minute it's weaker, that means in the brain neurologically that there's a weakening of um, the connections between the different branches over here, um, the chemicals flow differently, the glucose metabolism is different, and it's all designed to be changed. You see, when you renew your mind, you actually are changing your biology. So as you daily push through and work on those issues, not on your own, but in a continuous dialogue with the Holy Spirit. So as you, with your incredible design of your brain, stand back, observe your own thinking, watch the incoming, watch the upcoming, and you start working on this, you're communicating with the Holy Spirit. And you and the Holy Spirit together, God doesn't leave us alone. 
He's given us all the help we need. We actually then are thinking about, okay, that's not good. Let's build a healthy replacement thought. And use, as you work through this, you actually break this thing down and you build up a healthy replacement thought. So then you get like Paul who says, once I was and now I am. Your trial becomes your testimony, whatever, whatever way, however you want to say it. So you remember, but now you are different. And that takes work and it takes time. And this is part of the research, and I'll end with this. This is part of the research that I have been involved in for all these years, is how long does it take to build a thought? What is the science of thought? How long will it take you to break something down and build a healthy replacement thought and turn it into a, a habit and not increase global warming? Remember? Okay, so these ones, the bad stuff, with pleasure, get rid of them. They don't increase global warming. Okay, the bad ones you don't want in your brain. But the good ones you want in your brain. You want to implant the word of God, which will save your soul. Not the implanted word of Google and gossip. Okay, that doesn't save your soul. Okay, it's the word of God that will save our soul. So we need to discipline ourselves to be able to focus on the incoming, focus on the upcoming, and then set up a constant dialogue with the Holy Spirit to understand how should I react. And this in quantum physics is called superposition. So in my concluding couple of sentences, what I want to explain to you is that you, God has designed us to literally freeze frame every couple of seconds during the course of the day when we are awake and at night when we're conscious. Okay, And that freeze frame is you can gather the incoming, gather the upcoming, which is the memories from the past, and basically the memories from the past are very strongly going to influence your current decision about the incoming. In addition to that, however, you can call on the Holy Spirit to say, okay, this is happening, this is coming up, what should I do? And as we discipline and renew our mind, we learn to do this process correctly. Seven minutes a day is sufficient according to science. Remember, God gave us science to understand how we work, to understand creation. We can use seven minutes a day as the minimum that is required to change your brain. So if you work consistently how long for? Well, you've got to push through and you've got to push through and it takes a minimum of 21 days to break down a toxic thought and to build up a healthy replacement thought. Then you're not finished there yet. Most people think 21 days to build a habit. That is wrong. It takes 21 days to build a new thought. It takes an additional two cycles of 21 days. That, so that means an additional two cycles, an additional two cycles of 21 days, which means 42 days plus 21 gives you around about 63 three days for you to take this beautiful new thought that you've built to, and to stabilize that, which in science is called automatization, which in English is called becoming a habit. Okay, so when we practice something consciously after 21 days, another 21 days, so that's 42 on top of the 21, after 63 days, we would have implanted it so that there will actually be change in your life that people will see. In other words, you would draw upon that implanted information. The more you use that, the more of an expert you become at that way of thinking. So the woman with the issue of blood, when Jesus walked into town, she recognized her miracle, not because she had read a Twitter feed, of, ten, of one second, which is the average time of a Twitter feed through your Twitter feed. She had spent years building thoughts and implanting thoughts deeply, so she recognized the character of God. She recognized who Jesus was because she had implanted the Word of God. Her mind carried her, her mind had built enough networks through the choices she'd made to carry her through the hard time. She'd sown into the eternal. So when we recognize that we have a love power and a sound mind, that is when we will recognize the changes in our life. You see, you are not a victim of your biology. You are a victor over and above your biology. 
Where your mind goes, your brain follows. Okay, so where your mind goes, your brain is going to follow. There is nothing that you can't change in your brain. Your brain is neuroplastic. It will constantly change. Neurological damage from a car accident can change. It's different from mental illness, which is basically um, that when we react incorrectly, mental illness is basically has been around since the beginning of time. It's nothing new. The reason that it's getting worse is because of the way it's being managed. When you medicate it, you actually create new neurological problems. So, so disabilities increase not because of mental illness, but because of the, manage, the mismanagement of mental illness. So when we recognize that we need to acknowledge our suffering like David did, work through our suffering, confess our sin, work through those 21 times three days, push through through, you rebuild and you deal with your stuff. And sometimes you need multiple cycles to do that. Sometimes it'll be more than one cycle of 63 days. But this is something that you don't just do once, you do for the rest of your life. I did this in therapy with my patients for years and basically all my stuff I put into my books and DVDs and I actually have an online program, a 21-day brain detox, which is one of the programs that I have which teaches you how to break these down and build things up. I also have an online that teaches you how to understand who you are in Christ. What does it mean to be wired for love? What does this actually mean? And I've got a profile that you've in that I used to fill in with my patients to help them to understand not your problems, first let me, let me understand you. You see, the deepest cry from people's hearts is, does anyone out there understand me? And God says, yes, I understand you. Do you understand you? So this is the kind of stuff I didn't think in therapy with my patients, and then just recently we released this book called Think and Eat Yourself Smart because we're supposed to be irrigated. We're supposed to be integrated spirit, so I think I need some irrigation. Um, Integrated spirit, soul, and body. When? Now? Until Jesus Christ comes again. So you cannot go and develop all your spirit and mind and then live on a diet of processed food-like products and then pray that God will turn the processed cake into kale doesn't work. So if we're going to worship the temple and worship the creation, we need to be stewards of creation, and that's what I teach you in the, in the food book. So basically, spirit, soul, and body integration is what God, call, has got called, what God called us to do now until Jesus Christ comes again. So you cannot control the events and circumstances of your life, but you can control your reactions to the events and circumstances. Thank you. And again, just for the record, I was not in the office during the wardrobe malfunction. (laughs) Thank you, Caroline, very much. We're going to let her rest her voice for a minute. We will take a few questions uh, in a minute. This is, as I mentioned, the last event of this year's season, so I do want to make a few announcements. Uh, The first is uh, we are hard at work at next year's series. Um, In your program, you will notice that we have announced what we're calling for now our first event in the fall. I actually think we will likely have a a prior event in September, but at this point, the earliest event that we have scheduled, uh, which I will just lift up, is October 27th, uh, featuring Arnie Sorensen, who is the first non-Marriott family member to run 
the international organization called Marriott. Um, so look forward to that. Put that on your calendars. If you'd like to get updates about those events, uh, you're always welcome to like us on Facebook. You can sign up for our e-news or I guess our e-alerts uh, using this form uh, or by going to our website. So again, uh, next fall, October 27th. Um, I also, as always, uh, but particularly at the end of a season, like to say thank you. For 13 years now, uh, these events have been made possible not through the budget of this church, of which uh, serves as the center of this community service, but rather thanks to the incredible generosity of individuals and organizations in our community. Um, and you're able to be here tonight thanks to the generosity of people and places like, and I will just lift up a few, Cressa, so Jim, thank you as always, um, Thrivent Financial, uh, Jim Elvistrom, I don't believe is here tonight, but Jim, thank you wherever you are. Uh, Sparky Abrasives, uh, Bruce, I don't think you're here, but thank you. Bruce has been with the series for 13 years from the very beginning. Uh, Rapid Packaging, Phil and Mona, thank you. Uh, Mastercraft Labels, Jeff and Patrice, thank you very much. Uh, Greg at Productivity, uh, thank you. Uh, Mount Olivet, I mentioned. Fuzzy Duck is a, is a wonderful partner. McLaurin CSF at the University of Minnesota and Luther Seminary, um, as well as all of the individuals you see listed. And again, you are here thanks to their generosity. Many of them are here tonight. Would you please give them your thanks? I also always like to give a shout out to our wonderful musician, Jeff Elstad. Jeff, where the heck did you go? Oh, Jeff, thank you. And um, I think in 13 years, Jeff has been at all but maybe two of these events. Tonight he also brought his son, Eli. Eli, it's good to have you with us as well. Thank you both for your wonderful music. Um, I get asked a lot, you know, Tim, where do you get the ideas for the speakers? Uh, in some cases, there are not very clear answers to that question. In some cases, there are. And in the case of tonight's uh, speaker, uh, a dear friend of mine, Andy Romstad, who is a pastor up in Cambridge uh, and a classmate of mine from St. Olaf. I'm not going to sing the fight song. Um, texted me while he was listening to Caroline Leaf at some event down in Texas or somewhere, right? And I trust Andy well enough that I just immediately got on uh, the email with Mac. And so if you liked what you heard tonight, thank Andy. Andy, thank you very much. And then uh, finally, thank you all. You know, you all have uh, lots of things you could be doing on a Thursday night. Uh, every one of these for 13 years has been incredibly well attended. They continue to grow. Uh, my sense is they've put down deep roots in the community and, and have become an important part of the fabric of the culture we live in. So uh, I say to each of you, thank you for being here tonight and for supporting uh, this kind of important ministry. Thank you very much. Uh, you can give yourself a hand if you want. Okay, we're going to take uh, 10 or 15 minutes to questions. There's a mic right there and a mic right there. Um, one of the gentlemen, actually, who spoke for Faith and Life a few years ago runs a series similar to this, and he always sets up the questions by saying, please make sure your question ends with the appropriate punctuation, by which he means don't make a speech, ask a question, so end it with a question mark. And I will also remind you that this is not a, the, 
the place to be asking personal medical questions for Dr. Leaf. So if you could keep your questions more general, I don't know if that's specific enough direction, but let's, let's give it a try, shall we? All right. So here's back to, to Dr. Leaf, and uh, let me turn the mic on for you, Chris, before, before you ask a question. Yeah, your concept of uh, the mind first and then the brain follows is interesting. But in these, these days of late, we've been witnessing a situation in Flint, Michigan, where people who made decisions many years ago to live there were perfectly happy and healthy. <clears throat> now things have changed, especially in their kids. What's going to happen to their brains with all the poisons? How, how can they, using their minds, change their brain to make them whole again? Oh, in the okay. Oh, okay, okay. I couldn't hear very clear. Yeah, it's quite, the mic's not very clear. Um, okay, that's the physical damage in our, in our body, obviously from, from that. But research shows that you can actually, obviously, there's, if there's physical damage in your body and your brain, your mind is going to change a lot of it. But obviously, you then have to also get the correct nutrition. Um, your cells are constantly regenerating themselves, so through a combination, that the signal that changes the brain and the body is formed from two parts. 75 to 98% is basically from the signal of your mind, so your thought life. So your thought life is dominant. Then the other part of the signal, the 2 to 25%, making up the 100%, is coming from the biological. So what we eat, what we consume, what we rub in our hands, what we're exposed to, etc., etc. So there's a combination of the two. So obviously poison is going to damage the body. But there is, the mind is very powerful, and as time goes on, the mind can physically change the brain. There has been a lot of research showing that. Um, I'm trying to think of an example offhand. Um, with the cholera, the, when they first discovered cholera, um, the person who discovered it, basically, he actually... He actually believed so. Um, the, the, the one guy, the one scientist, there was a group of scientists, and when he was presenting it to this group of scientists, one of the scientists was so um, said, "This is absolute nonsense. It cannot be in the water, etc." And he was so determined um, that Robert Koch was wrong that he actually picked up a glass of the cholera virus, drank it down, and nothing happened to him. And it should have actually made him very ill. So there's an example of the power of the mind over the body. There's been, there has been research just recently at um, Baylor University about a few years ago where a knee surgeon was looking at the placebo and placebo effect. And he basically had patients going into surgery with similar problems in their knees. And there's different types of procedures, two different types of procedures that he was going to perform. And the, the, the two groups were split into a control group and an experimental group. They didn't know who was, so neither group knew what they were in. They all went into surgery. They came out of surgery, and they all responded in the same way. But the half of them hadn't actually had any surgery. So they'd been put under. Um, they, the surgeon spoke as though he was doing everything because your mind does process. You know, when you go under anesthetic, you, you're basically just freeze-framing the, the brain, but your mind is still processing. So he still spoke and still had the clunking of the instruments and passed me this and passed me that. But the point is that once they came, came around, they basically, the ones who didn't have surgery were walking better than, literally the same as the ones who had the surgery and better than they were before. And they actually really battled to think, I mean, are you sure I didn't have surgery? So that's just two examples of that, the power of the mind, the power of our belief systems. Okay. 
Since the, the mind can change the brain, that makes me think of repeating affirmations. So is it similar to that, or is are affirmations different from what you're talking about? Okay, very Thank good you. question, okay? So uh, affirmations is very fashionable, especially with the whole positive movement, positive thinking movement. I actually, actually did a summit just last weekend with a group of people that teach on positive thinking. One of the things I said is that positive thinking does not work. And the reason being is that you can say as many times as you want, my God shall meet all my needs according to his riches and glory. But if you don't believe that, if that's not your belief system, what you're saying is that I don't really believe it, but I'll say it because it's Christianese and I should be saying it. So in other words, you're actually not saying what you really believe, and the belief system is dominant over what you're saying. So you're actually saying what sounds good, but you're speaking from toxicity. So you actually go into a state of what they call cognitive dissonance, where what you believe and what you say or do are actually um, different things, and you create, that creates brain damage in your brain. So it's not a good idea. You're not going to convince yourself by just saying it over and over. You need to think deeply and actually change the networks, and that is going to take a period of time. It's going to take at least three cycles of 21 days in order to really, if you're desperate enough to change it, you can't just say it and then hope it's going to change. And on that note, most people give up around day three and day four when the emotions wear off. Very few people will push through for real change. Okay. I work with inner city kids in St. Paul, and I'm you, wondering... You work with, sorry to say that again? Oh, I work with inner city kids. Okay, inner city. Like that? Okay, I work with inner city kids in St. Paul, and I'm wondering what resources would be best to equip me to teach them? Okay, Mac will help you at the table afterwards, if you don't okay. mind. There is a whole learning system. The, the system that I was working with in South Africa with the, um, those, the poorly performing schools, um, I put that into a basic book and DVD. We've got a great online program also coming out, but there is a book and DVD. I did a lot of work in Dallas for three years in, in schools that are special needs, that, that kind of situation, and there is information on my website as well. So if you, go to the, in, in, if you speak to Mac afterwards, he can, he can explain to you. Okay. I'm going to speak for everybody here. I've been watching your videos for a couple months. But how can somebody that's 30 years old have 30 years of experience? <laughs> I like him. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> you see, when you get your mind right. <laughs> and don't let that stress when your top breaks kill you. <laughs> okay. Yes, uh, I wondered what other professions do you think best... Uh, supplement uh, development of the mind. I mean, natural kind of things, you know, massage, osteopathic treatments, uh, uh, yoga. Can you, are there things you recommend that would accentuate and better what you're Okay, that's a very good question. In my book, Think and Eat Yourself Smart, I, took ab I talk about, um, in three parts in this book, I discuss the, uh, to admit, we first got to admit there's a problem with our dysfunctional food system. Secondly, I talk about the impact of um, how mind eating is an 80% mind issue and the impact of toxic thinking on our digestive system as well as the food-like modern American diet, which is called the MAD diet. I also talk about the importance of exercise. So it's, there's no one diet that you need, because everyone in different parts of the world eats Basically, as long as it's local, sustainable, real food, that's important. And in terms
terms of any kind of um, thing that exercise is vital. So how, uh, how one does exercise is very important. Massaging is very important. All these things that are actually, I don't believe in supplementation. I explain why in this book, because if you're eating real food, you don't need supplementation. Supplementation is processed, and processed things are not good for our body. So if you're eating real food and you are moving, which you're supposed to do, your body will function like it should. So yes, I do believe in that. I believe in also your, like things like infrared sauna, that sort of thing. Uh, this side. We're going, okay. Um, my question is, and thank you for being here tonight. I, I follow you. Thank you. <laughs> um, as much as I can. Um, is it possible, because the mind controls the brain, is it possible for following that seven and 42 day process to transform the brain even while being on mind-altering drugs? Even when, I mean, brain-altering drugs, excuse me. Mind-altering drugs. So people have been, okay, so that's it. I'm so glad you've asked that question. Um, in my season two of my TV show, um, I have done a whole series of 12 episodes on mental health. And in that, I discuss in depth this, this concept of how mind-altering drugs, drugs change the brain and how we can actually change that. So um, there's the detail in there, and I have a very comprehensive blog and um, references on my, on my website. So to answer that, drugs that change the brain, your most, uh, the modern American diet, for example, is more addictive than heroin and cocaine. Okay? more addicted than alcohol, more addicted than cigarette smoking. So in other words, all of those we would list under toxic addiction. So love being the top one, and then things like the modern American diet is the second, second most addictive thing. So if you're going, if you're going from a food-like products that are processed onto, that's like a drug, basically, and when you stop eating that, your brain will go through withdrawal. So any of those, heroin, cigarettes, cocaine, psychotropic drugs, fall in there at number four, um, and basically that's things like anti-anxiety meds, antidepressants, all those things that actually create neurological damage. So in other words, when we put something in our body that, are, that is not what we should be putting there, your brain and your body have to adapt and they grow, your brain literally changes to adapt. So when you, um, and not in a good way. So when you then come off that, and you're starting to wean yourself off, for example, a bad diet, or come off medications, basically, or off drugs, etc. cetera, um, basically your brain has to readapt. So withdrawal is where your brain is now trying to normalize. And it does take cycles of three weeks and groups of three weeks. So, and in that process you are going to. So yes, according to research, any kind of addiction to any kind of substance, including the modern American diet, which is more addictive, as I've said, than, than heroin, which is quite shocking. Um, in fact, psychotropic drugs are more addictive than heroin as well. Okay, um, basically, the, the research shows that 86 to 93 percent of people stuck in any kind of addiction get out of addiction through choice, mind action. Okay. Yeah, that is something to clap for. Yes. Um, so. For about five years, I was doing a lot of like triple C's and cough medicine, and I was taking a lot of drugs. Um, I overdosed probably thir over 13 times, and um, within that time, I, I've, you know, I mean, everything you're saying just clicks. I've been, you know, um, now I realize that that's caused, that caused a lot of damage. I was completely led by my emotions for probably five years. Um, not barely using my, really smart in school, but then completely, you know, losing out on that. Um, now, in like the last probably like five months after I'd relapsed for two months, um, I've been really focusing on that. 
How long does it take with, with the emotions? Can you just speak into the mic? Sorry. Yeah. When, you, when you're completely led by your emotions for five years, eight years straight, how, like, it takes a lot more effort. I don't really know how I'm asking this. I'm trying okay, to I think you're trying to ask how do you get out of the cycle that you got yourself into. Right, because I've been working very hard and growing like, a lot in that because I was born very smart and I know that. Okay. So yeah, so, all right, so the cycle that you've got into is basically what, where your mind goes, your brain follows. So a habit that, a way of thinking that we, we literally grow that into our brain. So we grow these things. So we make a choice and then whatever we spend time focusing on is going to grow. So it becomes very entrenched and gets bigger and bigger. So whatever you think about the most, is going to, you're going to become an expert. You can become an expert at this type of thinking. So literally, you have to work at breaking this down. And that takes, it's going to take cycles of 21 days. Your body works in these cycles medically as well, physically. To, like if you have a blister, a basic blister will take three cycles of 20, you know, a cycle of 21 days. So it's interesting that it's always those cycles. So it's a matter of pushing through um, and as you're working, self-help doesn't work. Self-help is going to—it's not sustainable. We have to do it. We have to do it with God. Like David, like David cried out, the only solution is to do this in the arms of God, immersing ourselves in love. So the solution—and this is a big question—so I have to give you a, um, a simple answer because of time. But I encourage you to watch season two of my TV show. You can watch all the replays, and my material will help you. Um, there's a lot of exercises that you can do that are free on the TV show. They literally at the end, I give exercises to help deal with these things and discipline your mind. But essentially, you need to. First of all, take responsibility, okay? That's the first thing. Then you need to immerse yourself in an environment where you are with trusted people that love you. So a close group of friends that will immerse you in love. You see, when you're immersed in love, you have the courage to push through the hard times because there's plenty of those. So it's not so much being led by your emotions, it's more being led by toxic thinking. So this is information plus emotions. A thought is comprised of information plus emotions, not just emotions. So it's not just, you're not just being led by your emotions, you're being led by toxic habits. So what you have to do is rip those out, break them down and build them up. So responsibility, immersed in an environment of love, so that literally the love from others changes your physical nature. It, it, love being, that's people that are saying, okay, I'm standing with you, I'm walking with you, um, you know, whatever. You know, the whole, where you feel accepted, there'll be that, that group of people that you can trust and then you need to be part of a community. So it's great to be part of a church. The churches are an ideal environment within which we can get the community support that we need. So it's like all three working together with you leading the way, okay? It's a big question, but you did very, very brave to tell us that. So can we just give her a hand? Okay. okay. I'll be done. Um, thanks. Thanks for coming to Minnesota. This is exciting. I'm from northern Minnesota. Um, my question is about... Um, birth and the trauma that can happen at birth. And so um, from an extreme to lack of oxygen, so there's brain damage there for a gal that's 40 years old, her whole life has been that way. Or somebody that uh, maybe umbilical cord was around the neck and they had lack of oxygen, so then fear set in. You know, different forms of fear are fear from different traumatic experiences during birth. So I'm just wondering, um, how do you go about? 
Okay, so we're talking about birth trauma, uh, specifically physical birth trauma, like umbilical, umbilical cord around the neck right. or lack of oxygen for various different reasons, and then also yeah. the actual trauma of birth. Can the mind change that? So we can, you can have brain damage from all, there's all different types of things that can go wrong. We're all aware of that. They can obviously present with different levels of damage and manifestations. Now, for years when I worked in schools with children with special needs, we would work with some of the kids had that kind of birth trauma, and obviously you can't, I can't tell you stand up here and say that you're going to go back 100% to what you were, but I saw change in every single child that we, we used to work with thousands of kids, and it may, be, it may seem like only this amount of change, but the, you can teach a person to direct their mind. You will always find some kind of change. What level of restoration, no one can stand here and tell you if you do this with your mind, then you're going to get that level because each and every one of us is so completely unique. There are cases where, where you would never dream, like that case that I told you about, where she would even ever walk, talk. She was a vegetable and landed up being a high academic achiever. That defied all everything. So it's going to range. Um, it's going to range. It's going to depend a lot on the environment, the stimulation, the nurturing, um, the, 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 a lot of different factors. But I do believe and I have seen in my practice and over the years in the research I've done that when you use your mind, you change your brain. Okay. okay. I think, I, think we'll have to I, I know stop we can there. be taking questions all night and I'm going to be the bad guy now and I think we're going to take one more. So, Bernie, make it a good one. Well, given the significance of dreams in the Bible, the Old Testament in particular, can you speak to the significant of, significance of dreaming in what you've talked about and is there a way to teach yourself to dream productively <laughs> as opposed to unproductively. Okay, dreams are always an interesting one. First of all, no one can interpret your dreams. I have to stress that. So if someone says, you know, follow this dream book or follow this person and interpret your dreams, run far because your dreams are very unique to you and basically what a dream is is that every single person dreams but we don't always remember our dreams. We dream in REM sleep which is rapid eye movement sleep and we, come, we go in and out of cycles and what we are doing is we are sorting out the thoughts that we have built during the day. So our thinking process of building thoughts is a very active process and we don't complete all of our cycles of thought during a day because life is an ongoing thing. So when we go to sleep at night, we are going to sleep with a lot of thoughts that we have built that are not quite finished, that need finishing, that are maybe finished, maybe finished incorrectly, maybe finished correctly. Um, and basically as you are sleeping, you are sorting out those things that you're thinking. Your non-conscious mind takes over. Your conscious mind switches off. Things kind of go back to front. So that's why you get these um, connections or, um, or where things like a chair is floating. And you, know, you get all these weird things. It's because you, things are not flowing. Your neurotransmitters flow differently when you're sleeping at night. So the one side of dreaming is a bit of housekeeping where your brain is going through. Your glial cells work actively. Your mind is, there's a process that kicks in where you are cleaning up toxicity from during the day. Thinking produces a lot of, a lot of toxic waste um, that needs to be removed so that gets cleaned up. And because it's your, your, you've got this activity moving through your brain, different thoughts are touched on. And that's why there's always these mixtures of things. The most unresolved stuff or the most recent stuff tends to be very dominant in, in, in a dream. God also speaks to us through our dreams. So basically one thing that we need to do when we wake up with dreams is pray and ask God, what is he trying to tell you? And also writing down about uh, sometimes journaling your dreams, just write the process of writing it down can help sort it out. I've actually got information in this book and in the Orange series 
on, um, on dreams. So maybe I should just tell you, this is the Think and Eat Yourself Smart that I mentioned about um, understanding how to eat real food and the impact, etc. Um, this is the, a lot of what I spoke about tonight. It's got the 21-day brain detox in. This book has got an online program that goes with it. Um, they all, uh, this, this book's got an online, so 63 days to think and eat yourself smart. And in this book teaches you how to understand the perfectly you. It's got a questionnaire and an online program. So a lot of the questions I haven't been able to answer will be in here. The dream stuff is in here. And the orange series, the dream stuff is in here. Because there's so many questions. Hopefully this will help you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you again for coming out tonight. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm, as we always do, I want to give. Uh, I've, got, I've actually got another mic on. Uh, Caroline, a gift. Thank you again for being here, Mac. Thank you for arranging all of this. And uh, I think I'm live even without, without this. So um, this is a plaque. It just says, "With thanks to Caroline Lee for bringing faith to life." We thank you very, very much. Thank you for being here.